He is great and greatly to be praised among the nations of this world. And it's our joy to be a part of what God is doing in the world today. And you know, each week before we have our time of study, we pray for a local church, a partner ministry. And uh, oftentimes it's, it's our pleasure to pray for a partnership that may not be just down the street, but is literally around the world. This is one of those mornings. We're gonna pray for our missionary partners in Cambodia, members of our church that we were pleased to send out a couple of years ago as missionaries to Cambodia. Their names are Vicki and Shannon Bob, and, and we love them. We're so grateful for them. And we're gonna pray for God's grace on them that he would fill them with the power of his spirit in Cambodia today. And many of you may even feel stirred to be a part of what God's doing among the nations, whether it's Cambodia or any of the other partnerships that we're able to have among the nations. I wanna encourage you, if you have a few moments at the end of this service, to spend just a, a minute or two being a part of a meeting that's about upcoming trips that are in the works for this coming year to some of our missionary partners, some in Cambodia, Malawi, other parts of the world. It's going to be right after this service. And it's in a room that's really back this way. If you just got those double doors or those double doors and make your way to the back, you'll find that room. It's called the Island Room. That's where we'll be meeting to hear about what God is giving us as a church an opportunity to go be a part of what he's doing among the nations. I promise you this, we will not feed you lunch, okay? So you can, you can count on that, which means we'll try to let you out in a timely order so you can get to lunch. But let's make our prayer as we bow before the Lord and study of his word. Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. You are great. God, it just is a thrill for me stand on this stage and hear your people sing with one voice how great thou art and Lord when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place what is man that you're mindful to him the son of man that you visited him but you've made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honor as your sons and your daughters we give you praise today. Would you teach us your word? And Father, would you allow your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us, Lord? May we sense your presence. May we hear your voice. May we believe and obey the truth of your word. And Father, not only us, but all of those gospel teaching churches in this community and around the world, we're asking, Lord, for a great awakening, a revival in our day that only you, by your spirit, can pour out. We pray specifically for Vicki and Shannon, Bob and Cambodia. May they know that they are loved and remembered and lifted up in prayer today. And Lord, we praise you for what you're doing among them. Stir our hearts to step out more and more among your work in the nations. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open them to Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 11. If you're new around here, maybe you're just visiting with us this morning, you need to know that uh, we believe the Bible is literally the word of God, that the Holy Spirit used human authors to write this beautiful book that is inerrant in every way. And it's our joy to study 
the word of God this morning. But because we believe this is the word of God, we are very careful in how we study it. As a matter of fact, we don't just rip pieces and parts of the Bible out of context and study whatever we feel like studying. We wanna hear the whole counsel of God. So how we do that around here is we normally study books of the Bible verse by verse. We just go from beginning to end. We don't skip parts. We don't overlook things that are difficult. Last week, we studied a really, really difficult passage passage of scripture and found there was something really appropriate and applicable to our lives in one of the more difficult passages of the scripture to understand. And so that's how we approach the scriptures. And here we are at Daniel and we're almost to the end of our verse by verse study of the book of Daniel. And I cannot, for the sake of time, catch all of our visitors up on what the book of Daniel is all about or what we've studied to this point. Um, but I do want you to know that these last three chapters in the book of Daniel contain one long detailed vision that God gave to Daniel. And this, this vision from Daniel's perspective was all about future events throughout the history of the world. So as Daniel is writing this, he's looking out over the future and all of the events that God gave to him in this vision were future oriented for him. But here we are 2,600 years after the life of Daniel and many, if not most of the events that were prophesied in this vision are past for us. We look back over them and we see most of them have already been fulfilled. As a matter of fact, last week, we worked from verse 1 through 35 and we saw vision after vision after vision was fulfilled. There's a matter of fact, 135 prophecies some scholars calculate, that have already been fulfilled just in chapter 11 alone. And so we see a large portion of this prophecy is in our past, our rear view mirror. However, this morning, we're gonna be turning the corner with Daniel. And what we're looking at are the remainder of events in this chapter that are actually future-oriented for us as well as Daniel. As a matter of fact, the focus will be from rulers who have already come throughout our, nation, or throughout our world's history to a ruler who is coming, a king who will emerge onto the world's stage, who will be unlike, in a sense, any other king. And that actually brings us to our text for today from Daniel chapter 11. I'll be reading the rest of the chapter where we picked up, all, or we stopped, we picked off, I don't know what I meant by that. Where we, where we stopped last week, we'll pick up this morning. Verse 36 through 45 in Daniel chapter 11. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God, that God of fortresses referred to earlier. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. 
And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, that's the land of Israel, and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab, and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver, and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. This is the word of God for us this morning. We pray God adds his blessing to the teaching of his word. Well, here's the, here's the reality. Before we examine the details about this king that we just read through, I do wanna show you something, how we know that there's a transition that's taken place. How do we know this is a future king and not one of the kings we talked about last week? Well, let me just give you two things that we can know. Number one, this king is not Antiochus Epiphanes, okay? Last week we saw that history reveals that the king who's described in the verses just prior to our text, verse 21 through 35, is is none other than Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the ruler of the Seleucid Empire from 175 to 163 BC. If you want more information on that, you're going to have to go get the recording of last week's message, but I can't give you more than that. But what we see here is that the description of the king in the section we just read no longer matches the description we get about Antiochus Epiphanes from world history. For instance, verse 37 says, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers. Well, we know from history, that's not true about Antiochus Epiphanes. History tells us that he actually demanded that the people of his empire worship the ancient Greek gods. As a matter of fact, history tells us that when he took over the temple in Jerusalem, he set up a statue of the god Zeus. So the context tells us we're reading about a different king here. Think of it this way. Imagine you were reading a letter that I described to you actually last week, a letter that was written before the founding of the United States that clearly predicts the future of the United States. You know, without a doubt, that letter of antiquity is verifiably a letter of the past that was predicting events that would be part of our nation's history. Well, imagine that prophecy said something like this. The president will declare slaves to be free. The president will establish a system of national parks. The president will resign from office. The president will purchase the moon from China. Okay, stop right there. Let me just ask you this. Are those statements true? Except for the last one. I'll get to that in just a second. Are those statements true? Do you know our history at all? Yes, they're true. We know all of them are true except that last one. Our president did declare slaves to be free. What president was that? President Lincoln. Our president also established a system of national parks. Was that President Lincoln? No, that was Theodore Roosevelt, right? And some of you are saying, the nerds in the room, well, there was the bureaucratic system of Woodrow Wilson. Okay, just go with me on this one. Who was the president that resigned from office? Nixon, yeah. So we see that that prophetic letter about our country uses the same title, the president, the president, the president. It doesn't differentiate when one is different than the other except its context. So we have to use the context of the predictions 
to know who it is talking about. It might look like it's talking about the same person because it's using the same title, but clearly history tells us otherwise. But then that brings me to that last one. What about the president who bought the moon from China? Well, that one hasn't happened yet. All right. It's a little conspiracy theory I'm going to drop on you here. No, I'm just kidding. I just tried to think what's the most outlandish thing that could possibly happen this coming year. And I just went with that one uh, off the top of my head. But here's here's the story. If you believed that those first three predictions, that letter was actually legit, what you would become convinced of is since that hasn't happened yet, it is a prediction about our future, what's ahead of us. And the reason I bring that up is because that dynamic there is what's at play here in the vision Daniel's showing us. And it actually brings us to the second way that we know this is a king who has not yet been revealed. It's, it's not only a king different than Antiochus Epiphanes, it's a king that hasn't come yet. It's a future king because this king will rule at the end of the world. You see that at least two different places. Verse 40 says, at the time of the end, Okay, so we know that the events of this king that we just read about take place at the time of the end, the end of the age. In other words, these events happen just before Jesus comes again to this earth. Chapter 12, verse 1 actually says it this way. At that time, now those are the next verses right after our text. At that time, the, the time we just heard described shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Now, you'll have to come back next week if you want to know more about chapter 12, but that is clearly talking about the time of great tribulation that will occur just before Jesus comes again. And it's at that time, chapter 12, verse 1 tells us, this king will rule. So this section we just read about is referring to the final world leader who will emerge before Jesus comes again. Who's that ruler? Well, we know him as the Antichrist. We've actually also talked about him several times, chapter 7, chapter 8, even at the end of chapter 9 in Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy, we talked about this emerging world leader, the Antichrist. And here's what we have in our text for this morning. We have a a really detailed description of what that king, the Antichrist, will be like. And so what I want us to do is just walk through this text, and I want us to see what this This little section of prophecy tells us about the Antichrist, this king who is coming sometime in the world's future. Let me just go through these one at a time. There are five descriptions that I'm going to highlight about the Antichrist in our study this morning from this text. Number one, the Antichrist will have unchecked earthly authority. Look at that verse 36 again. And the king, now notice how it's phrased, shall do as he wills. All right, so the Antichrist is going to emerge under the world stage and will eventually emerge with a kind of authority that the dictators of this history of our world could only desire, could only imagine having. He has unchecked earthly authority. He does whatever he wills. Listen to the way that's actually described in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 two says, and to it, talking about the beast or the antichrist being described, the dragon. Now, Revelation 12, nine tells us that the dragon is actually Satan himself. You can look that up 
on your own time. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, who is the Antichrist. Verse 4, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? Stop right there. In this passage in Revelation 13, the Antichrist there is the beast. Verses 2 and 4 say that Satan will give the Antichrist his full authority. So the Antichrist, think about this, is a man who is filled with all of the power of Satan himself. Here's what that means. The most angelic, powerful, mighty beings will not be stronger than the Antichrist, because he is evil incarnate. Guys, that's actually what makes him the Antichrist. That word anti, it means opposite of or opposed to. This is a person who is opposite of or opposed to Christ. Christ is God in the flesh, right? He's goodness incarnate. So what you see happening is that this world is on a collision course in history. The the spiritual battle we talked about a couple of weeks ago that's going on in heavenly places, that spiritual battle and conflict is merging, as you will, with the physical conflict in nations and kingdoms of this world. It's going to culminate with this emergence that's not just a collision course with spiritual and physical. It's actually going to be in the culmination of collision and conflict between good and evil, God and Satan. But it's all coming together and the embodiment of satanic power on this earth will be in its leader, a man referred to as the Antichrist. I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. That actually brings us to number two. You see, the Antichrist will try to take the place of God. Verse 36 says, he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. You see it there when the Antichrist assumes authority, he won't be satisfied with political power because it's not just about that. He will demand that people everywhere abandon the worship of the one true God and give themselves wholly to the Antichrist and the system he will impose on the earth. I want you to listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It tells us a little bit about this Antichrist. He's referred to here as the man of lawlessness, but verses 3 and 4 say this, for that day will not come, and that's talking about the day of Christ's return. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Shakaru, there's going to be a rebellion on the earth before Jesus comes again. Believe it or not, yeah. And the man of lawlessness, look at this, is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Skip down to verse nine. The coming of the lawless one, the, the, the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan. We already looked at that from Revelation 13. With all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Do you see what's happening here? This Antichrist, who is described as a man of lawlessness, will emerge on the scene. He's lawless. 
That, that simply means that he will abandon and rebel against and overthrow the law. The law of what? The law of God. He will lead the world to rebel against, to overthrow the law of God. And then it says he will then assume the role of God. So just think about it this way. If he causes us to abandon the role of God as the giver of the law, the one who can determine right and wrong, truth and error, then he assumes the role of God. He will then begin to establish a new order to this world. What is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil will be defined by evil incarnate, this world leader. He will demand that the people of this world align their lives with this upside-down morality that is opposed to the law of God, or they'll suffer his wrath as a mirror image, as an inverse of God's order. God who says, you will either follow my commands or you by sin will experience my wrath. The anti-Christ, the anti-God overthrows God, overthrows his law, overthrows right and wrong, and then says, you will either align your life with my new law or suffer my wrath. He'll take the place of God. And church, listen, just think about how this world has already set the stage for this to happen, right? We are wholesale abandoning the absolute truth that God has established from the beginning of time. Listen, marriage, sexuality, biological gender, listen, common human decency, That's love for our neighbors. It's the highest command, Jesus says. Love for our neighbors is the embodiment, in a sense, of God's law. Love God above all things. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving our neighbors has become a thing of the past when you define it the way that God defines it. And here's what I mean by that. Love is being redefined. So when we go to fulfill the law of God in loving our neighbors, we have to make a choice. Will we love them the way that God defines love or will we love them the way our world has redefined love? You see, love now means accepting and affirming whatever our neighbor says they are, they feel, they think, they believe. So so loving our neighbor now means this. You have to accept and affirm that your neighbor is a cat or a dog if that's how they feel that day. And I know we chuckle, but it's not funny. It's where we live, right? Do you realize what that means? It means the basic laws of biology. Not just human morality, but the law of God and the biological mechanisms he's established from the beginning of creation are being rejected in favor of what? Lawlessness. There is no law. There is no right or wrong. There is no absolute authority. Who's to say I'm not a cat if I say I am? Everyone does as they please under a new world order. But guys, you need to know this. That idea That world where there is no absolute authority. The one that promises each one can do whatever they please. You're free to do or be whatever you want to do or be. is a lie because that world of no absolute authority does not bring about a world where everyone becomes free to do whatever they please. Did you know that? It culminates in a world, not where everyone is free to do as they think or please, where everyone is a slave 
Because there will be no law except for the absolute power of whoever's in control. Here's what I mean by that. Who's to say that the world leader is wrong for annihilating people who resist him? There is no right or wrong. There's only the power of those who are in charge. And you need to know this, friends. This is where all of the nonsense is heading in our world. It is not about gender. It is not about sexual ideologies. It is about the attempted overthrow of God as God by saying his law does not apply. Lawlessness. And that will set the stage for the Antichrist to emerge into a world that's ready to buy that bill of goods, hook, line, and sinker. A world where we already live. Number three, the Antichrist will value power above everything. Daniel 11, verse 37, 38 says this, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his father did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. Okay, when verse 38 says he will honor the God of fortresses, I take that to mean that he will treat military power and strength as though it's divine. He'll put all of his treasure into amassing a military like this world has never seen before. Revelation 19 describes the battle of Armageddon when the Antichrist comes out to fight against Jesus. And what we find there is that in that moment, he has every soldier, every army from every nation on earth at his disposal. And I don't want to go too far down this road, but this, this is an indication of how the world leader will fall into a place of controlling the individual lives of soldiers, of armies, and even ordinary citizens. And, and just think how far we've even seen that in our lifetimes. Just think about what we've seen the last few years in China. 1.4 billion people, many, if not most, if not all, have spent years in mandated government lockdowns having to see every detail of their life under surveillance, under control of their government. And again, this is not about getting the jab or not getting the jab. I know it's a tinderbox around here sometimes. This is about control that we see already being exercised, governments already having the capacity and capability with billions of people already on planet earth. Imagine the day when this world is run by a single world dictator who has the full power of Satan to deceive people to the point they do not need to be locked down. They willingly worship him as though he's a God. That antichrist will value that kind of power more than anything else because it will be the way he will show the world that he is God in the hearts and minds of the citizens of this world. The Antichrist will value that power. And then the Antichrist, number four, will violently oppose Christ and his people. 
Verse 37 says this, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers. Now look at this phrase, or to the one beloved by women. That phrase, the one beloved by women is an interesting phrase. It could mean that he has no natural desire for women, right? There are some scholars and interpreters who take it that way. But remember that this vision is directed to Daniel and his people who are the Jews. And one of the deepest desires of Jewish women of old was that they would be chosen to give birth to the Messiah. And so the desire of the women of Daniel's culture was the Messiah. And that's talking about Jesus. I think that's actually the best interpretation of this phrase. He's gonna actively, the Antichrist is going to actively oppose the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ, and that will then be manifest in an all-out assault on anyone who follows Jesus. Listen to the description of him from Daniel 7, 21. It says, as I looked, this horn, who's referring to the Antichrist as well, made war with who? With the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days, Jesus himself came. Revelation 13, 7 says this, and it was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Talking about the Antichrist, Matthew 24, verse nine, then at the end of the time, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Matthew 24, 21, Jesus says, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Guys, there's a time of great tribulation that will unfold through the power and the leadership of this world leader, the Antichrist. And in that tribulation, Christ and those who follow Christ will be treated like a plague that's to be wiped off of the face of this earth forever. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to linger here, but the reality is that this world is not going to grow more and more receptive to Jesus. And we're experiencing that even in our own day. This world is heading in a direction that will only grow more and more opposed to Jesus until it culminates in a global holocaust under the leadership of the Antichrist. And listen, we already see remnants of this in our day. Our world is fine with us speaking ambiguously about being people of faith. They're fine with us talking about believing in the power of prayer. As a matter of fact, we've seen in recent months about how our whole world is willing to come together and believe in the power of prayer. We have no problem speaking generically about faith, about little G gods, even about prayer. Here's where you get the world wrapped up. When you say that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he alone is God and there is no way to the Father except through him. And you're going to get some people riled into a place. Why? Because this world is growing more and more hostile to Jesus. Even if we're saying we're growing more and more tolerant of religion. Well, it's all part of an agenda of God's enemy that will culminate in persecution of Christ and his people. Number five, the last thing we see in this text about the Antichrist is that the Antichrist will establish a one world government. Verses 42 through 44, just read those. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. 
He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. Stop right there. We don't have time to go through all of these details. And largely, we don't know what all of them mean because these are battles that have not happened yet. Remember, this is a glimpse into the future. But what I believe we're seeing here is that we're seeing just a small glimpse of the early days of how the Antichrist will emerge in power. So even when it talks uh, earlier about the the people groups who escape from him for just a moment, I, I don't take that to mean that's a final escape. As a matter of fact, ultimately, Revelation 13, 7 says that As he emerges into the world's scene, after some time of conquest, every tribe and people and language and nation will be under his authority. He's going to establish a global kingdom that will rule over every nation of the earth. A one world government, in essence, that will rule every single person who's under his authority. Listen to Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. Also, it causes all, the beast who is the Antichrist, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. His government will be so pervasive that the time will come when no one on earth will be able to buy or sell without the permission of the Antichrist. Guys, I remember as a kid wondering, how in the world could that even be possible? I mean, I got a piggy bank. He can't get my piggy bank, can he? But just think how far we've come with technology, right? I almost never carry cash anymore. I can buy anything with a card. I can even buy things on my phone. We, we already have the possibility of government monitoring every single transaction and being able to turn them on or off with just the press of a button. We are already in this place. We already have something like a global economy that holds the framework for the go- global governance and oversight of selling and trading. So here we have a portrait of a one-world government of a of a man who will emerge by the power of Satan, valuing power above everything, establishing through satanic power a one-world government that will lead all-out assault on Jesus and his people. And here's what I know. We're 30 minutes into this thing, and some of you got to go to lunch with people who aren't here, and they're going to be like, hey, what what was church about today? And you're going to be like, man, we talked about the Antichrist. It was great. I know it could be really demoralizing, right? Because what we're looking at is a picture of our future. And, and, and the reality is it's not a pretty picture that we've just painted. Because the reality is this. We can't bury our head in the sand and pretend like God's word doesn't say this. What we see here is a demoralizing picture. Our world is plummeting toward godlessness and global government. We're heading toward a future where satanic power and persecution of Christ and and his people will rule the day. And it would be easy to sit in this room to leave and go to lunch and not even feel like eating lunch, but sit in despair. But I want you to know, and I want you to see, that is not the point of this passage. And that's not how we're going to leave. Because I want you to see the final phrase of our text. Daniel chapter 11, verse 45. This is the last phrase that we have of this particular part of the vision. 
says, yet he, who's he? The Antichrist. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. What's that talking about? That's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. We'll look at that next week. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, talking about the lawless one, the Antichrist. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring nothing to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Listen to me, church. You want a reason to rejoice today? You're already a jump in the gun. I'm getting ready to give you the reason, though, all right? Listen, 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 listen. Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he does, church, the most powerful ruler, this ruler that when we read the description, it feels oppressive and daunting, this world ruler who is unmatched in world history, total unchecked earthly autonomy, Sets himself in the place of God and the people of this world wholesale follow him. Overthrows the rule and laws of God. Everything from human biology to godly morality rules the day and pours out wrath on Jesus' followers. When Jesus comes again, the most powerful ruler in the history of this world will meet his end. And there won't be anyone who can stop it. Every army of every nation will be no help. Satan himself and all the powers of hell will be no help. You know why? Because the Antichrist isn't the final most powerful king who's coming. Jesus is. Jesus is. And here's a really good question for your buddies. How will Jesus kill the Antichrist? Did you read it? By the breath of his mouth. Have you ever had one of those annoying little gnats that fly around your face in the summer? Have you ever had it? Then you didn't live in Florida last summer. They're everywhere. That can be so annoying. I'll be out in the yard, and, and I, I'm working out there, and my hands are busy, and I'll, I'll have those, that tiny little gnat flying around my face. We call that the indicator you need a shower, but that gnat's flying around my face. You know how I get rid of that little gnat when I'm working out in the yard? You know how I get rid of that little gnat? You want to know? I go like, I go like, I go like this. <laughs> like that. <sighs> I just blow it away. You guys ever done that? I wasn't letting you in on some human secret there, right? We've been doing that for like thousands of years as people. Well, here's the reality. The scripture, when it tells us about Jesus coming back, tells us that's how Jesus gets rid of the Antichrist. That's how he does it. One day, the most powerful ruler in human history will rise to power. He will control every nation, every army, every soldier, every dollar, every transaction, every person. He will be the embodiment of hell and Satan itself. But the Antichrist will one day meet the coming Christ. And it will be even less of a battle than my war with the gnat. Christ will blow him away with the breath of his mouth. Isn't that awesome? I thought you'd like that. How's it going to go? I'll show you how to go, son. And it's over. And that gives us our big idea for this morning. The dreaded Antichrist will be no match 
for the glorious Christ. Satan, his army of darkness, the powers of hell, the rulers of this age, the kingdoms that are reeling in chaos, those individuals trying to establish a new world order and overthrow the law of God. Satan and his army of darkness are no match against the king who is coming. As a matter of fact, Satan has already been dealt a mortal blow because Jesus defeated him at the cross. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. God became incarnate. He became flesh and blood. The real Christ emerged on the earth, but not first as the ruler we imagined. He came as a servant so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Listen to me. At the cross, Jesus did battle with Satan himself. And he did battle on our behalf so that we could become children of the Most High God. Jesus took our sin at the cross and he died as a payment for our sin. He took our punishment in full so that we could be forgiven and restored to God. And the only power, guys, the only power that Satan has against any of us is the power to accuse us of sin before God, to say this one's a sinner, that one's a sinner, and then to say, God, you have to justly punish that sin by throwing them into hell. That's the only power that Satan has against us ultimately. But Jesus then, Jesus made a way for us by faith to have victory over the accusation of the enemy. He paid on the, the, for our sin at the cross He made a way for us to be forgiven in every way we need to be forgiven, to be redeemed in every way we need to be redeemed. And even at the cross, it looked as though the enemy would have the upper hand. They laid the body of Jesus in a borrowed tomb, and it looked like Satan had won the war. Those days were dark. (laughs) But up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. He arose the victor of a vast domain, and he lives forever with the saints to reign. I wish I could sing. I'd do it right now. He arose. Christ arose. And when Jesus arose and stepped out of the grave, he displayed once and for all that Satan is a defeated foe, and every satanic power of hell has been disarmed already at his cross and through the empty tomb. Guys, we're getting ready to do the Lord's Supper together. And this is a celebration that Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice at the cross, has made a way for us to live in his victory that we have already because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Listen, guys, if you will trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, victory is already yours. You will be forgiven and redeemed and restored to God, never to be lost again. And you can know that the dreaded Antichrist is no match for the glorious, victorious Christ. And Jesus is our Savior, our King, and our God. And before we move into the Lord's Supper, I just want to give you two quick points of application before we close. Number one, and I'm going to pull this out of a text that's about the Antichrist, but 
it's the first point of application. Number one, follow no one but Christ. 1 John 4, 2 through 3 gives us a warning. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. You want to know if some spiritual work is real? Ask what it says about Jesus. How much it depends on Jesus. Jesus is the litmus test in that sense. And every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus isn't from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and listen to this, and is now in the world already. Guys, there's a warning for us as we talk about this Antichrist, and it's this. The spirit of Antichrist is already at work in your world. That spirit that would try and tempt you to live a godless life, to pursue godless pleasures, to value godless power, that spirit is already here at work in our world. And our world is following that spirit more and more and more with every passing day. And there are a thousand temptations that you face to give in to the spirit of this age. I know it, you know it. Every marketing campaign that would make you think you need the latest, greatest gadget or the stuff of this world to be happy. Every song or movie or celebrity that would lead you to believe you need a worldly pleasure to be satisfied. Every get-rich-quick scheme, every ideology of sexual revolution, every sport or hobby that demands your every waking moment promising you satisfaction, never delivering because you love the Cleveland Browns. All of it, guys. All of that worldly agenda is emanating from somewhere. And if it isn't pointing you and drawing you to Jesus only, Jesus, you know what it is? It's a spirit of antichrist. Beware. And I'm not saying sports are evil. I'm just saying the Cleveland Browns might be. (laughs) What I am saying is that beware that your heart is not living in a vacuum. And there's a spirit that wants to use everything in this world, no matter how benign or innocent it may appear to be, to blow across your heart and draw you further away from Jesus. That spirit is the spirit of Antichrist. And church, do not fall for it. Don't bow your knee. Don't give your heart to the godless age Our allegiance isn't slick politicians or sexual revolutions or secular pursuits. Our allegiance is to the one and only Christ. We have no other king but Jesus. So bow before Jesus as Lord. Give your heart and life to him alone. And there are times where certainly Jesus will call us to honor authorities who are over us. Our parents, our spiritual leaders, our government. But we only honor authority as an expression of our devotion to Jesus and we will say at the end of every day we had rather obey God than man we have no other king but Jesus do not follow anyone but Jesus number two and we'll close not only follow no one but Jesus but fear nothing in Christ first John 4 4 goes on to say little children you are from God and have overcome them that spirit of antichrist For he, now listen to me, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Guys, it is easy to watch the news. 
It's easy to listen to the future of the world unveiled. It's easy to, to think about the stage being set for a world ruler who will literally bring an unparalleled holocaust against followers of Jesus Christ. It is literally easy to look at the news and see. The stage is already set today for the Antichrist to assume power. And it's easy to look around at that world, the world that's succumbing to the power of hell on earth, to read headlines and to begin to tremble. It's easy to see that persecution and tribulation are on our horizon. And it's easy then to fear the days ahead, to wonder what's it going to be like, to know that this world isn't getting better and better. Guys, trains are falling off their rails, and I think UFOs might be falling from the sky, I hear. The world is falling apart at the seams. And guys, we can't put our head in the ground and pretend like that's not happening, but we cannot ignore what the Bible says in fullness. And here's what we just read. If you are in Jesus Christ through faith, listen, you have nothing to fear in life or death because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Who's in you? Christ is in you. And he has hope for glory And the Christ in you is greater and stronger than the Antichrist to come or the Satan and powers of hell who will empower the Antichrist. Let me ask you this. What do you fear today? What is it in this world that would keep you up tonight? What present chaos, what future calamity do you tremble when you think about? Listen to the word of our God. If you are in Christ, you have nothing, nothing Nothing to fear. Greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. Antichrist and Satan will be damned to hell forever. Jesus is coming again. Don't be afraid.